I gotta say, I kind of don't like going to the movies that much anymore. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It's people just act weird. A guy just like FaceTiming with somebody down the yeah. row from me, and he was so fucking wasted. Like he was just super <laughs> drunk. And then they didn't clean the seats off. And the people next to me sat down and were like, oh God, what's this? And there was just like all this like popcorn there. Oh, and the no. guy just like leaned over and was like, hey, I think it's a bag of cocaine. And we're like, what? Social contract. Well, yeah, people like, I think don't know how to act in public most of the time anymore. When I was at the new Insidious movie, right after the movie started, it was like six kids snuck into the theater and immediately went to like the back row in the corner. And they were talking like the whole time. And this was like a Friday afternoon. And it must have been like, it was during like the climax of like the movie where like everything's going to shit. And they're like, we need to do whatever to fight the demon. And one of them. <laughs> we girl, need to do whatever to fight the demon. Like, yeah, I don't remember the plot of the movie, obviously. <laughs> Even though I like just saw it. This There's a demon. It must be dealt with. Oh, yeah. There's like a demon possessing people. Someone has to do a seance. You know, the whole thing. <coughs> One of the kids, this girl, decides to do like a front flip over the seat right in front of her. And then she gets her head stuck like in the chair. Like she must have gotten like her hair <laughs> stuck in it. So she's like upside down, like in this chair. And she's just That's going, awesome. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And everyone is just like, what the hell is going on? And one of them like gets up and helps her and he's like, you're embarrassing me. And it was where we delve into films with heavy metal soundtracks, terrible stoner movies, and other such nonsense. I'm Dylan, and joining me for this episode is my friend Irene, a.k.a. the Black Metal Pastry Chef. Hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. Here, yeah. Uh, Irene has been on Diary of Doom before, and Irene's also in a band called High Cost. Uh, and you just played a show, right? We did. We played at St. Vitus. We opened for a band from Tijuana, Mexico, called uh, Violencia. They were sick. And if you have not heard them, I highly recommend you check them out. I also play in a band called Heretic Body Hammer, which... <laughs> that is an incredible name. <laughs> we have we have a demo out. And we're actually, like, in the... We're, like, starting to book our first show. So things are happening there. That has to be a black metal band, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like a black metal, war metal band. Oh, um, nice. So it's just like the real extremely over the top black metal. Yeah. I think our drummer slash vocalist also described us on our band camp as like cybernetic goat metal. 
cybernetic goat. I don't know if that makes if that gives you a better idea or if that just like makes it more confusing. But I mean, it makes me think of the cyber <laughs> demon from Doom, which is pretty cool. Oh, so, but yeah. I don't think that's what. Hmm. Mecha black metal? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of like black metal album covers, but like mecha eyes. Kind of like sort of black Tommy. metal with like a thrash aesthetic. Kind of. Sort of like Tommy, who is our drummer and vocalist, and he's like an insanely awesome artist. He did our like demo cover, and it kind of reminds me of like H.R. Geiger sort of stuff to give you an idea you are on Bandcamp, right yeah yeah i'm looking at it right now yes i totally see like the the geiger-esque elements yeah. like the fusion of like you know body to uh whatever else that is <laughs> <laughs> stuff <laughs> yeah you know stuff um well that's cool i'm gonna have to listen to that every year it's been I find I, I never I never really go out of my way to look and see what kind of black metal is coming out. And yeah. inevitably, I wind up finding out about like five black metal albums that I wind up like really like always seem to like pop up. They do. I also I feel like just in general, when it comes to like new stuff coming out, it's like if I don't listen to something the second that I like see, oh, this new thing is out, I'm probably not going to remember to check it out until like months later. And then I'll get excited about it. And then I feel like people are like, oh, yeah, that that's been out for a while. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, sorry. <laughs> like I need to keep like a active list or something. Oh, I do that because I'm that's a huge smart. I have, a, yeah. I have a Google sheet that I update constantly. Oh, that's so smart. I have multiple tabs. <laughs> I, yeah, I just like have a very short attention span. So I'll see something and be like, oh, sick, I have to check that out. And then, you know, an hour later, be like, oh, I need something to listen to. But then it's already escaped <laughs> my brain. <laughs> you mentioned that at your show or at a recent show at St. Vitus that there was a movie playing. And it also begs the question that when you have to leave your apartment to go to said show at St. Vitus Bar, how do you get down from your whatever floor it is, third floor of your apartment? Do you shoot a circular pattern in the floor around you and drop down to get out? <laughs> is that how you get out of your apartment? You know, I need to try it because I think you can save a lot of time that way. It might increase the rent, though. It might. It might also get you kicked out of said apartment <laughs> for putting a hole in the floor. Right. So <laughs> it's good that apparently nobody lives in the nation of, um, uh, or the city, at least, of Budapest, uh, possibly the entire country of Hungary, because that happened in this movie, and as well as a lot of other property damage that nobody <laughs> seemed to really give a fucking rat's ass about, which I found hilarious. Or even um, just like the whole like first scene in like the subway <laughs> metro station, whatever. It's just like <laughs> if we haven't given it away, uh this episode, <laughs> we're talking about the movie Underworld, which came out in 2003. And 
my only experience with Underworld is the trailers and then kind of just making fun of it because that, you know, I was an asshole. I just remember thinking at the time, I want this to be so cool and I know it will not be and thought like, I'm a real fucking cinema snob. I know what high cinema is. Obviously, I did not. So I'm going to hand this off to you to talk about Underworld and why Underworld was awesome for you. Well, I definitely was not a cinema snob. <laughs> I, like, I, yeah, I, I'm a real cinema <laughs> snob. No, I mean, I like when this movie came out, I didn't see it in theaters because I was like 12 or 13 at the time. It's a rated R movie and I wasn't allowed to see rated R movies yet. But then like the second that it became available at Blockbuster, I think I like just snuck it into like the movie rentals and like didn't ask my mom and just like, it's like going to finally watch it. There is nothing in this that I think would be questionable, even with the R rating. It is such a tame film. It's and it's honestly like it's just the gore. Yeah. Which, like, in hindsight, like, my mom would have been like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> like, like <Yeah>, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Rewatching this movie for the podcast, it's been, like, a really long time since I've seen it. Although, when it came out, I, like, loved the movie and watched it a bunch of times and had it on, like, DVD, I think. Yeah, that was DVD time. Oh, yeah. Not, the, not VHS. The, yeah, I, <laughs> no. Well, I... I feel like there is a chance that this was put out on VHS, but it was probably towards the end. I definitely feel like Underworld was like a massive DVD. Oh, I remember was. always seeing it in like the bins, yeah, like, for like five bucks or something like that. Well, and, and then you know inevitably what? with the sequels too. You know, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know, this is like a let's be honest, this is a lucrative franchise. <laughs> They've made five fucking movies. Yeah, yeah, with some tie-ins, I'm sure. And now I'm remembering it definitely was There's a got to be some terrible video games. <laughs> because if I, and like, I want to say like, if I recall the DVD menu is like the shot of Kate Beckinsale with like her big leather coat. Yes. And they have it yes. just like kind of waving. Yes. It's like, with like the poor digital effects. Yeah. It's like really. <laughs> DVD it's, menu. It's, yeah. I mean, at the time. <laughs> Looking at this, like I made, I made a note about this here. Let me, uh, let me just dig it up. It's like, uh, it's got like a motion comic effect to it, yeah. And like the music playing, and is to me, I thought vaguely sounded like Reptile by Nine Inch Nails. And also, yeah. let's be real, we would rather just be talking about Nine Inch Nails for an hour <laughs> <laughs> because even though Nine Inch Nails plays very little role in this movie. It does in some ways. Like, I, if I remember correctly, The Hand That Feeds was used in the trailer for the second or the third movie. I want to yeah. say maybe the second movie. Nine Inch Nails is not on this soundtrack. Um, no. There's just, we would just rather be talking about Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> but it's also, like, that was a huge part, I think. This movie, you know, came around for me when I was, like, getting into Nine Inch Nails. And so it definitely, like, fit. Because even though, like, Nine Inch Nails isn't on the soundtrack there's definitely parts of the soundtrack yeah that sound like nine inch nails songs or sound like well, there's a they're reason for very that. heavily inspired by nine inch nails and this was this was when like little irene was like 
discovering her gothness. And <laughs> <laughs> well, and like, yeah, I I thought that movie. I thought it was a fun movie. Like, I loved all the gory scenes. I love Kate Beckinsale. I thought she was a fucking badass. But you know what? Like, I was like obsessed with that movie, and I watched. I went to theaters to see the second movie. And then I think the second movie, I was finally like, this, yeah, these aren't good. And then I haven't seen any other ones. Like, it's just been the first two. This was little Dylan's first uh, experience with uh, Underworld ever. Like, I've I've never seen this. You know, I'm completely, like, foreign to this. Um, yeah. So this, is, this was a first-time viewing for me. But big, big, big movie for Sarah, my partner, yeah. when she was young, too kind of similar thing she thought it was great she was very much into anita blake vampire hunter i think or something like that laurel mm. k hamilton yeah and this was just kind of the same thing so it worked for her. so she, i i bought this dvd i saw it uh at a uh, uh a little like flea market on the corner in wait you have the dvd I bought it for like two bucks or so like you've four seen bucks. the DVD menu. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's why I know what it looks like and everything. It looks so stupid. Like, but it's, it, it looks bad simply because graphics and, and the way that we can present art yeah. and, and these kinds of things has dramatically changed over oh, the yeah. years. But also I haven't really like, I don't buy as many DVDs as I used to. I remember like when I was younger, there were movies that would come out and like, I would like pre-order the DVD, you know, coming out like the star Wars movies, sin city death, like, you know, that kind of shit. Like I remember like putting in like holds at like Suncoast and, and stores like that to get them FYE, whatever. And I have done, I just did not do that for a long, long, long time. Like there was just like, I just stopped buying movies because suddenly you could watch everything streaming and it just became more convenient yeah. for me. And that was in the earlier days. And now I'm like buying things again, but it's from more like independent producers and stuff like that. And yeah. it's for like a lot of weirder movies. Like I can't remember like the last like big major release like film that I bought on DVD. I really like can't, I like, I don't, have any, I don't have anything like uh, I don't think I have any Marvel movies except for like Iron Man on DVD. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you get kind of used to, or I think not, you know, feeling like, oh, you don't have to like purchase like physical copies of them with everything being available for streaming. But I remember a couple years ago, a squirrel like chewed through our internet cable. <laughs> and <laughs> We didn't have, like, we just didn't have any internet. And this was, like, in, like, April 2020. So <laughs> oh, we were no. home and there was no internet. And I remember. Squirrel went mad and chewed through the cable. <laughs> well, and also because, like, it was, you know, lockdown time. Like, I remember we, like, called Spectrum. We were like, our internet's not working. And they were like, we can send someone in, like, a couple days. You know, we're not really sure. And. I remember being like, thank fucking God I have like some DVDs and like Blu-rays because I was like, I'm fucking bored and I want to watch something. But Squirrel ate our internet cable. And... Well, that did not <laughs> so, it, so DVDs come in handy. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. You See, never this know. is why you must invest in yeah. physical media because of these fucking squirrels. Squirrels. 
no, but I did buy this like off the street. And I remember I wanted to do this because somebody had said to me like, oh, you're going to do like Underworld and shit like that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, eventually I'll do that. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll do this. Like, why not? Like, here it is. I'll watch it. I'm not going to be I'm not going to turn my nose to this. Like, this is look at this weird soundtrack for this weird movie. So, yeah, I, I picked it up and got the DVD menu and all its glory. But like. I forgot what it was like to look at how fucking goofy these things were. And they were like interactive. Like I remember I have like a Godzilla one for Godzilla 2000. And when you hit play or scene selection or extras, a fucking missile fires out from like the screen and blows up the selection. And then you go to the next screen. Show me a fucking DVD that does that. That's amazing. Like that's, <laughs> and like, I mean, it looks goofy. Like it's a, like blocky cgi missile but i don't care that's fine anyway yeah. uh, there's no missiles here i wish there were but it's no. it's still kind of fun a, uh, a bit about the uh the background of this movie this was directed by len wiseman in his directorial debut uh len wiseman stole kate beckinsale from michael sheen let's be real that happened during during production during production and I like Kate Beckinsale was like the one who got Michael Sheen that part. I know. Because they were dating. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did grab a bunch of this stuff from uh, IMDb trivia and Wikipedia. And this was written um, in such a like Kate and like Len and Michael, like Stan love triangle fan from somewhere. Like just the, the verbiage they use, noting that Michael and Kate share a daughter together who appears in the film during a flashback of when Celine, the character that Kate Beckinsale plays, was younger. Michael and Len have since become very close friends and have collaborated with each other on Underworld, Rise of the Lycans. Michael and Kate still remain very close and both are raising their daughter equally. Kate has stated that Michael is her best friend and that they still remain very close. Like that sounds like fan fiction. <laughs> wait, the wait, the daughter in the flashback. The that's Kate Beckinsale's daughter? I yes. I had no idea. Yeah, and that's not the weird part. The weird part is the way that's written because <laughs> no, that is sorry. like some weird like you are just those are some broad assumptions you are making about these people. I didn't real um, I didn't realize that Michael Sheen like kept working on the other underworld movies. Like, sure, I'll collaborate with the guy who my wife had an affair with. Why not? But maybe also it could just be Michael Sheen, like incredible actor who's done a lot of like serious shit and like theater shit. But he's also done this in Twilight. And I think he might just love vampires. Like I, I think he just has like a really soft spot for that. <laughs> yeah, it is weird that he is also in Twilight, but yeah, like I don't multiple know, maybe, Twilight movies. Maybe yeah. he's just a nihilist, and when he found out, he was just like, "All right, whatever." Or yeah, he's just like, "I can do both." <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know, just kind I of can wild. Do it all. <laughs> it's I find it interesting because like if that happened today, it would just be like all over the news. But back then, it was like, oh, this was just like. Oh, there was a scandal in the weird vampire werewolf action movie. Like, whatever. This was based on an idea by Kevin Gravieu, I believe. I believe is how you say his name. I think it's Gravieu. Uh, Danny McBride, not to be mistaken with Danny McBride. It's a different one. And Len Wiseman. 
review uh, dropped out of graduate studies and moved to Los Angeles where he became an actor. He came up with the original concept for the film, which was inspired by Romeo and Juliet alongside his college studies, which based vampirism and lycanthropy on a viral mutagen rather than mythology. And it was also influenced by his experience with interracial dating and the tension that it often causes. McBride and Wiseman soon stepped in to work on the script, which they soon set out to make a trilogy of. The movie was initially pitched as Romeo and Juliet for vampires and werewolves. For those not aware, Review plays Rays in the film. And yes, his voice is that deep. That is just his normal levels of voice, and it is not altered or enhanced in any way. Uh, in addition to his own comic books, he has also written for Marvel and DC and Dying Comics. So he's actually had like quite a long career. Wait, wait, raise the the werewolf. This is all his brainchild. Basically, yes. Holy fucking shit. That's There's awesome. a caveat to that. What? The film was the subject of a copyright infringement lawsuit filed by White Wolf Inc. and Nancy A. Collins, claiming the setting was too similar to Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf the Apocalypse games, both set in the World of Darkness setting and to the Sonia Blue vampire novels. Does every vampire uh, novel series have just like insane names for characters? Like, I just love these names. Anita Blake, Sonia Blue. I, th I mean, yeah, I think that's... Just so dramatic. It's gotta be a part of it. Uh, White yeah. Wolf filed 17 counts of copyright infringement and claimed over 80 points of unique similarity between White Wolf's gaming systems and the film. One of those points being that the vampires in Underworld, quote, drink blood. Um, well, Excuse I, me. that doesn't really carry much or hold much water, let alone blood. <laughs> that seemed like you were uh, trying a little bit hard there. Uh, yeah. Also, aren't vampires like public domain? They're myths. I was gonna say, or like the fact like, that, like, folklore. I feel like the fact that like vampires drink blood, or like that vampires might have a feud with werewolves. I feel like that is like a thing that you see in a lot of different like vampire stories. Yeah, you didn't see Universal suing them. I'm pretty sure like Dracula met the werewolf in the old Universal movies. Yeah. So. White Wolf Inc. also said the script was very similar to a story entitled The Love of Monsters that came out in 1994 that they published, written by Nancy A. Collins. In September 2003, a judge granted White Wolf an expedited hearing. The lawsuit ended in a confidential settlement. Okay, but did that script have guns in it? <laughs> I, I think it could have. I think Masquerade... Vampire the Masquerade is like kind of like one of those oh, like vampire RP games. And I'm sure there's guns or like the Do you shoot through the floor in the hallway so that you don't have to take the elevator. Probably not because the programming probably couldn't handle that. Yeah. Uh, the creators of the <laughs> series approached Marvel Studios about doing a crossover with the Blade franchise with Wesley Snipes presumably reprising the role. Marvel declined saying they wanted to leave the door open to do something with Blade on their own terms. They should have, I mean, like, they could have even done it as, like, a comic book. That would have been cool. I wonder if someone has. Maybe oh, Rays well. has. <laughs> In, like, some variation of it. Yeah. Uh, so this movie features uh, the aforementioned Kate Beckinsale as Selene, the death dealer. Uh, the heroine's name is the moon in Greek mythology, or, like, like, lover of the moon or something like that. 
Uh, besides Kate Beckinsale, Halle Berry, Mia Jovovich, and Rona Mitra were considered for the lead role. This would have been basically kind of like a Resident Evil clone, I think, if Mia Jovovich was in it. Yeah. She is in the movie in some capacity, and I'll get to that. Would have been very, very interesting if Halle Berry was in this movie. Kind of yeah. like, it would have been kind of like Catwoman, which I'm sure is like not very good, but I this, I, this has to be better than Catwoman. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen Catwoman. Maybe that I should be- see it. I haven't seen Catwoman either, but that would be cool. Kate Beckinsale spent weeks living on a diet of chicken and cabbage so she could squeeze into her very tight leather costume. So another (laughs) classic Hollywood diet. She also suffered a bout of pneumonia during filming because of the sub-zero temperatures, which helped keep the weight off. Wow, that sounds extremely unhealthy. Wow. Uh, You also have Scott Speedman as Michael Corvin, a medical student who becomes a hybrid. He suffered a concussion when a set prop that was supposed to be a piece of the wall, uh, the character Victor had just thrown him through, hit him in the head. <laughs> Bill Nye plays one of the elders, and he was known as the rock star vampire on set. <laughs> Michael Sheen, as you noted, he uh, also plays a uh, vampire, hates werewolves in the Twilight Saga. And in supporting roles, you have Shane Broly as Craven. Erwin Letter as Singe, Dr. Singe, Sophia Miles as Erica, Robbie G as Khan, Kevin Review as Rays, Zeta Gorig as Amelia, who's one of the elder vampires, and also Wetworth Miller as Adam Lockwood, Michael's colleague. It only took two days to, uh, to film his stuff. Len Wiseman wanted David Bowie to appear as a vampire at the Vampire Vampire's Feast, but due to some time problems, it did not work out. Oh. And I'm kind of thankful for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, David Bowie does show up in this movie in a certain capacity, and that's on the soundtrack. Uh, yeah. which was produced by Danny Lawner and distributed by Roadrunner Records, uh, along with the previously covered Resident Evil. Danny Lawner, a bass guitarist, guitarist, and keyboardist, has recorded with Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson before. And so that probably explains why you said that the soundtrack kind of has this Nine Inch Nails vibe. It's sort of like kind of fit with what Trent was doing in like the early 2000s, uh, or at least it was kind of like a hybrid of that and like some of the other bands that were on here, sort of that that weird like commercial but also industrial and sort of gothy and sort of clubby but not too clubby but you could definitely get like 15 remixes out of them totally yeah it was like a hodgepodge of stuff (laughs) yeah but Uh, yeah the soundtrack it was interesting because like even though i loved the movie growing up the soundtrack did not really stay with me because i think i was like i was like oh that sounds cool i'm just gonna go listen to nine inch nails <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> every band on here with the exception of a few i look at and i'm like i'll just listen to nine inch nails yeah it, like it's you know like it was more the idea of it also just because like i don't know this time around i was listening to the soundtrack before watching re-watching the movie and even in like watching the movie, I was like, I don't really like hear a lot of the sounds, the songs from the soundtrack in here. They probably just use like pieces. Yeah. And it's like stuff that you, cause it's always like kind of just like an accompany. It's, it's an accompaniment to a scene and it's like supposed to provide like atmosphere, but like the songs are all like 
they're songs. So yeah. they have like a certain like, you know, they have like a certain flow to them. It's not just like so like we just finished watching um the righteous gemstones just wrapped up and they have this like fucking incredible song in it called redeemer that plays whenever they break out this monster truck that plays a part like a role in the series and the song's incredible and it's like seven minutes long and it's designed that way so they could just like drop in certain parts throughout yeah. certain yeah they just wind up using the same ones because they're like wow this is so good but the point is like that's what it's structured for like for you to kind of like work it into like certain things depending on what the mood is and they yeah. do that here but like it's i don't know it's kind of like they did the same thing in resident evil where like the music it's like this massive like stacked soundtrack and there's just like little parts of it are used but they have to put the whole song on the soundtrack or yeah. even more egregiously alone in the dark which has a, a super stacked soundtrack and there's like maybe two or three of the songs actually featured in the movie yeah it felt like they were kind of buried in there in a way where it didn't feel like watching the movie to me where I was like, oh, what song is this? Like, I like I barely just flew right over my head. <laughs> I, I just keep coming back to like how Green Room does the same thing where it's supposed to be like, we're playing this to add ambiance and it like actually makes sense, but also it like whips because of what's be like playing. So yeah. Amy Lee recorded vocals for the soundtrack. It is credited in the film, but none of her recordings ended up being uh, used in it due to licensing issues with Wind Up Records. Uh, so I had to listen to the soundtrack as a YouTube playlist. And let me tell you, some of those videos were hilariously old. <laughs> there are some bands in here that I genuinely liked, and I'll, I'll run through it, but it is kind of a silly soundtrack. So... First yeah. band on it is The Damning Well, and I was not familiar with it, and I was just like, whatever. This is, I just didn't even know what that was. And then there's Pucifer, which I just did not realize this is how far back Pucifer went. Are you a Tool fan? Not really. Were you a Tool fan? Um, Like, were they a gateway band for you? Because, like, I definitely listened to Tool a lot, but no, because I've really fallen out with Tool, I gotta be honest. I like dated someone who was really into Tool. <laughs> I guess and that's so. All you I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm like deliberately not gonna get into this band because like I don't want to. <laughs> but yeah, so I actually like didn't really. I I was never a big Tool fan, but yeah, like, I mean, stubbornly I was, so. I was into them, but like I don't know for some reason they always got lumped in with Nine Inch Nails, and like I never really like got it, like. Because I guess they were, I guess it was like, they're smart, but they're like metal. I don't, yeah. And Nine Inch Nails is just like whatever people thought Nine Inch Nails was. Pucifer, I've heard one Pucifer song, I think. And I was never really interested in this side project of Mater James Keenan. Like this song in particular, Rev 2220, I just thought was extremely corny. And Maynard, like trying to be this sultry crooner just sounds extremely goofy to me. So I was like not into this. Yeah. Uh, Paige Hamilton from Helmet contributed a song. And I like Helmet, but like if this weren't Paige Hamilton, I almost felt like this was like a proto butt rock song. Like <laughs> it was at the very least fight music. Then you get Mia Jovovich's appearance with Danny Lawner, aka Renholder, on Rocket Collecting. And this was just another corny song. And I don't really think she's a very good singer. 
I didn't even realize that was her when I was listening. I was like, oh, this is whatever. <laughs> and then I did listen to the, so the three tracks with Amy Lee and Danny Lawner are like kind of just like, uh, like ambiance instrumental stuff. And like, yeah. they're all just kind of music. So we could, that's just how I would say they all are. Then there's a David Bowie cover of Bring Me the Disco King off of his album Reality that came out in 2003. I've never listened to that, but I do like me some David Bowie. And this remix of it features Maynard James Keenan again and John Frusciante from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I just think it sounded like a really mediocre James Bond song. And was I couldn't even tell if Maynard James Keenan was on this. Yeah, I had no idea he was. Kind of bringing Bowie down a notch. Yeah. And then there was a band that I do like, Skinny Puppy. Um, mm -hmm. And this is not a favorite of mine. Like, it's very clubby. <laughs> it yeah. definitely works for this movie, but it's not like my... I like the creepier Skinny Puppy songs. Totally. I That was like... Yeah, it was like Tame Skinny Puppy for the soundtrack. But I appreciated that they were on there. Yes, there was um, a, a credible sure. band. <laughs> <laughs> then, okay, I fucking loved A Perfect Circle in high school. Like, I probably listened to A Perfect Circle more than Tool. And I know there was that, like, whole debate, like, who do you like more, Tool or Perfect Circle? Mm -hmm. I would just be like, I like both. I listened to so much A Perfect Circle in high school. I loved that band so much. I never saw them either. Like, I just, I only listened to them. And I noticed that, like, the running trend here is a lot of remixes. So it's got to be some kind of like licensing thing where yeah. it's cheaper to just be like, oh, I'll do a remix of it as opposed to I want like the song. And uh, I just like the original version of Judith so much more. <laughs> I don't know. It definitely because I know it was like, I mean, I say like it was like a low budget movie. But I think if I recall, like I think I read that it was like the budget for the movie was like $22 million dollars and like oh yeah i'm sure they were just like we'll take what we can get you know? yeah and i think in terms of like the soundtrack yeah it was like okay well we're not gonna get like nine inch nails on here but let's get as close to that as we can i'm um, sure a part of it too was like remember on cds there were like you would get the singles and then like judith and then there'd be like the danny Lawner remix mm -hmm. and then there'd be like another remix and they would be like just this like like what like I, I why am why do I'm getting this I want to like rock out I don't want to like go dance like <laughs> but I'm I I definitely like you know listened or to a, a handful of those back in the day so it's got to be like a marketing thing where they're like we're gonna put this out as a single and then we're gonna have uh Danny remix it and then that's gonna be in the the underworld movie and it's cheaper for them. And then they're going to make money and Danny's going to make money and you're going to make money and everybody. And, but we're not going to have your actual good song. movie. <laughs> That's probably the, the, the loop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving along here. Uh, they had uh, a couple of like, you know, somber tracks in here. One of them was by John net Napolitano. The name of the song is suicide note. I'm not familiar with them, but it definitely stood out for me like as like a somber song. I actually felt like a lot of effort and emotion went into this track. Yeah. Dillinger Escape Plan. Obviously, this rocks. It's fucking Dillinger Escape Plan. <laughs> like this is this is such a standout track on this album because it sounds nothing like the rest of the album. Yeah. And you know, it's Dillinger. 
Trust Company. I am not familiar with this, but this was soft butt rock. And the YouTube video cap, the YouTube video, like the caption at the end of it said, made by the Grinch. What? <laughs> yeah, the Grinch, G-R-I-N-S-C-H, and then wrote out, wah-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> All right. I, God, the old internet is amazing. <laughs> uh, another Perfect Circle song, Weak and Powerless, the Tilling My Grave remix. Again, just the original one is better. A track by Finch, uh, yeah. Worms of the Earth. And I remember hearing a good amount of people talk about this band back in the day, and I never listened to them because it yeah. was like not what I was into, and it's still not my thing, but for what it is, it's good. Yeah. It's like, what, post-hardcore, kind of emo. And then the last few tracks on there is From a Shell by Lisa Germano. This is a soft, melancholy track for the tender moments. And then I read about... Lisa Germano, and she was treated like shit by the music industry. Really? Uh, she did a lot of work as a violin player for bands like Simple Minds, John Mellencamp, David Bowie, and the Indigo Girls. But after she put out some albums and her sales declined, her promotions dropped. Billy Corgan offered her a backup singer position with the Smashing Pumpkins, which she rehearsed four weeks for. And then she dis and then he was he dismissed her via their tour manager the night before the tour started. And then she was dropped by her label while on tour with the Eels. So after that, she just quit the music business. Fuck. Like, wow. Just like, holy shit. That sucks. And then I think my favorite track off this album was On the Lash by the Icarus Line. And I was vaguely familiar with this band, excuse me, with this band because former member Aaron North also played guitar with Nine Inch Nails for a while. Yeah. Uh, after With Teeth was released. But I really like, I loved this song. I was listening to it right before we started. It's kind of fuzzy. And it just, again, kind of like Dillinger, doesn't sound anything else, like anything else on the soundtrack. So this was like the standout for me. And yeah. then the last one was All of This Past by Sarah Bettens. And I had to listen to this independently. It wasn't on the playlist. This track was uploaded by Swampy the Wolf. And there was also a Rarody Kenshin fan music video uploaded by Bane24785 15 years ago sent to this song, which is a piano heavy track that, you know, presumably is what vampires bone to. <laughs> also, the end credits feature a song named Cowardly, which is wrongly credited to Ren Holder when it was actually performed by Blacklight Burns. Remember that band? Oh, that's so I was like trying to look up that song at the end for the end credits and I kept getting I forget. But whatever answers I was getting, I was like, I don't I don't think this is right. We also need to briefly talk about a song that's not on this soundtrack, but we found out during <laughs> the course of this, which is the flyleaf cover of Something I Can Never Have by Nine Inch Nails. I and think it's for the third movie soundtrack. Uh, it is a crime against humanity. <laughs> it's so fucking terrible. I like ruined my own whole week when I pressed play on that. But, <sighs> yeah, I remember I was like trying to listen to songs from the Underworld soundtrack. But yeah, this was like a playlist that was like all of the Underworld movie soundtracks combined on Spotify. Uh, okay. And so it had like whatever songs from the first movie soundtrack that are on spotify it had on there but then it had the other ones too and 
I was like scrolling through it just to see like, oh, do the soundtracks get any better? Like as the movies go on? And no, they don't because fucking Flyleaf <laughs> is covering something I can never have. This song is something they can never have. <sighs> good God. Like, yeah, there is no good God because this exists. Like I was beside myself and it just kind of reminded me that Nine Inch Nails is a band that a lot of people love to do covers of. And, you know, obviously there are, there's the great Johnny Cash cover. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's fantastic. But I, I remember like in high school, uh, Nine Inch Nails was a huge band for us and, you know, still one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah. And there were just like, whenever these covers would crop up, just getting lambasted like by us and just saying like how bad they were. It's I think it's just because Trent, as you know, we were texting about it, like just Trent is really good at just sort of like reinventing himself like song to song. Like he's just a very talented and gifted songwriter. And so like it's kind of hard to just like let me just do like a cover and it'll be like nine inch nails generic or whatever. Unless you're trying to do something totally different with it, which if you're trying to do something totally different with it, not to like give the guy way too much credit, but like chances are like he's already thought of it and done exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he totally, it's like some of my favorite songs, like my favorite version of something I can never have isn't even the one that's on like Pretty Hate Machine. It's, <sighs> see, I'm actually like, I'm terrible at album names. It's like a version he does where it's just him and piano in like oh the yeah, room. yeah that, it's on like the blue album cover one. Um, I forget what I forget yeah. the name of it, I'm but gonna... that whole album is fantastic. It's like Three... the, it's like Nine Inch Nails unplugged or whatever. Yeah, and it's beautiful. So, what's the unless and like I mentioned this in a text to you, like Lincoln Park covering Wish live. That's fucking fun. Like covering, doing yeah. a cover like live at a show is fun. And regardless of like how good it actually was, you yeah. know, they're just breaking that out because they want to do it. They weren't trying to like, oh, we're doing this because somebody shelled out $250,000 because we're doing a song for the Transformers soundtrack or something like that. They're just like, yeah, we just want to like do it. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's more forgivable because there's a lot more innocence behind it. Flyleaf um, went out of their way to put this on an album and be like, we want to make, we we are doing this and it's, oh, it's so fucking bad. It's just, <laughs> it's so terrible. Like just um, the, the Lil voice makes it so goofy. For anyone who does not know which version we're referring to, I did find it. It's the, it's called Still. Is yeah, the album. Oh yeah, Still yeah. is so good. I fucking love Still. And like, yeah. Some it's ass music on there. Totally. It's beautiful. That's the thing is there's, this movie is not a bleak movie. Like it's very, it's got a very specific look. It is not like a bleak, morose, super remote movie. Like, it, you know, I mean, it deals with like romance and shit, you know, it's very, yeah. it's more hyperdramatic. So totally. yeah, but the, all that said, we'll get off the Nin talk and, and the flyleaf hate and we'll talk about this. <laughs> this movie, which somehow was two hours long. I couldn't fucking believe it was two yeah. hours of this. It flies right by, though. We also watched <laughs> the trailer for The Forsaken, which is an awful-looking vampire movie that is probably hilarious. Have you ever seen this? No. 
it looks so bad. It looks like one sure of those. I'll like, love it. <laughs> it looked like one of those like really bad horror movies that like New Line would have distributed. Okay. Like, they would have like made a lot of money off of it because it cost like you know like probably ten grand to make. <laughs> it looks so terrible. But anyway, Underworld. This movie is just blue. Like the Matrix is not even this green. That's how fucking yeah. blue this movie is. Um, Super blue. To, uh, we open up. Celine is providing exposition about. Lucian, the werewolf lord, being killed, and the lichens, as they're called, the werewolves are known as lichens, uh, and that's that's the start of uh, of a thousand internet fantasies. <laughs> but his death leads to the lichens scattering and allows the vampires to rule. And she's a death dealer, who are these elite vampire assassins that are still tracking down lichens, while the rest of the vampire populace has kind of just like moved on from this. Everybody has a very cool jacket in this movie, no matter oh, how yeah. bulky it makes you. And she's like talking, saying all this, like perched on like this, you know, ch like church steeple or a chapel or something. And she, you know, flies down with the thing like billowing behind her and it's raining. And like the perfect landing. Yeah. And then she just like casually starts walking. And oh, yeah. I so, love that part. I do. I really do. <laughs> I mean, that is just made for the trailer. And then it's like, you got to open with that. And like, that's the thing. The trailer makes it just seem like it's going to be just two hours of just like shooting and all this. And then there's just this insane, like goofy romance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a romance. But then it's also like, like this whole like political side of like the vampires versus like the werewolves and like. Yeah, it's you know, Sharks versus the Jets. <laughs> totally. And like, you know, you kind of start off being on the side of the vampires just because you're like, you know, seeing the whole thing from like yeah. Celine's perspective. But then as the movie goes on, the werewolves have a point. Like <laughs> Right. But then, you know, it's like no side is clean. You know, they do the classic. Totally. Like, we have to have our heroes be in the middle and like both sides are both like, you know, hypocritical and whatnot. So totally. Totally. Uh, she's tracking a guy onto the subway, uh, but a bunch of lichens in human form open fire on them and uh, kills her part. I think she's there with like another vampire and kills, yeah. kills him. I think the guy who was taking pictures. Yeah. And when you die in this, you burn up blue, apparently. Pretty much shot for shot stuff from the Matrix, like in this scene, like camera angle and everything. Celine's got these cool pistols, but you know, remember, despite everybody probably claiming to be amazing shots, they just spray bullets at each other. And this was the era of bullet hoses. Yeah. Uh, Celine escapes out of a tiny Kate Beckinsale sized window down a tunnel. <laughs> just like, psh. Uh, one of the lichens finally transforms. And it looks a little bit weird, but they mask it up pretty well with all the flashing lights. And it is a guy in this in a suit with, you know, prosthetics and everything. So I got to give him a thumbs up for that. And he kills the vampire that he's fighting with. The lichens, the werewolves, whatever you want to call them, they still kind of have like, they're not full wolf head werewolves, you know, which became kind of the norm for a while or just like the full-on just I'm a big wolf like in Twilight. <laughs> and uh, I kind of like the shorter-faced werewolves yeah. a bit more. I think it's kind of the classic look. So I, I think, you know, even though they're very, they're very monstrous in this. 
Kate shoots down another of the lichens and gets all vampy and then shows us the UV bullets, <laughs> which are just like these glowing blue bullets uh, that are like gigantic, apparently. Then the other lichen attacks and we get monster vision, which is awesome, regardless of how bad it is. And Kate uses these like bladed circular ninja star things to ward him off. She ultimately finds herself underneath a lichen fighting den before holy shit michael sheen as lucian walks in like it is <laughs> such a look and uh he quiets everybody down with his shotgun the two fighting lichens transform back which looks awful it looks so terrible <laughs> yeah. i feel like at the time that would have been like wow we got to see what it looks like for a vampire god damn it i keep saying vampire we, we get to see what it looks like to see a werewolf transform like in real time and it like it does not look good but that's all we had at the time i know <laughs> uh lucian decides it's time to rally against the vampires and they're also in search for the man from earlier uh michael corvin aka scott speed oh yeah and he had like he and kate beckinsale had that moment on like the subway platform where they're just like staring at each other for a minute before I think it's like Ray's starts like screaming and then they all just start shooting at each other. And there's and a, a connection. There's a connection. But I think at that point she doesn't realize if he's involved in all of this or not. I think she's just like, oh, he's cute. <laughs> but I, I have work to do, you know. <laughs> uh, Kate shows the UV bullet to Khan, the vampire armorer who thinks they stole it from someone. The vampire fashion. Yeah, I liked him too. The yeah. vampire fashion is fucking hilarious, like just so specifically of the time. Totally. And I like I think that was like something I not the what the vampires are wearing, but like Khan and then for the werewolves, how it's what's his name? Singe. They have these like scientist techie people who like develop these like crazy weapons that they can use that like use the like mythological weaknesses of the other person or the other like species where like werewolves use ultraviolet bullets because vampires can't be in the sun. And then like Khan with his like silver nitrate bullets and stuff. Oh yeah, the lore in this is yeah. like extremely like for for a movie that came out before like cinematic universes and all that shit, like yeah. the lore in this is extremely like well defined, regardless of how like you know kind of silly it is. Totally. Well, it's like and those that, are things that's why yeah. it's like two hours long. They like put time and effort into this. Like it's they, did. they fully describe everything. Like they really like commit to creating this world and like you know hats off for that yeah. <laughs> you succeeded well and like the fact that they took you know like classic vampire and werewolf lore but they were like but we're gonna make it early 2000s so like werewolves are weak against silver silver bullets like and they're gooey silver and they're gooey silver bullets yeah <laughs> sarah also pointed out that apparently it's not common for vampires to always have the teeth present in a movie because it makes for a lot of like weird vocal delivery so that's why there's a lot of like cgi extending fangs now oh. uh so we assume that most of the dialogue in this movie was adr'd because a lot of the i think everybody has like you know noticeable teeth in the movie yeah but they're so like little ones though 
they're very small. Like I they probably like made them smaller just to like do that. And then probably did some really good ADR. <laughs> Except for like, I feel like the first time I really noticed like Kate Beckinsale's teeth is like in the subway scene when she's shooting the guy up close and you see her eyes glowing like bright blue where it almost seemed like, oh, you're in like predatory mode. Because, like, her eyes changed color and her teeth became more pronounced where, like, maybe, which, like, I don't know, they didn't really get into it, but it seemed like maybe, like, maybe they have this, like, predatory mode and then they have this mode of, like, we can be around people and not look like vampires. It is interesting that, like, people besides, like, Corvin don't really play a role in this at all. I find that really interesting. Like, there's yeah. just, like, this whole, like, secondary story going on. People are just, like, of no consequence. And I guess they do kind of explain that. Um, yeah, that they, they don't get, like, they don't get into, like, the vampire's, like, impact on the world. Just that, like, all this bullshit is happening. And they're, I guess you don't, like, do that because then that you'd be getting away from this ridiculous story of, like, lineages and whatnot. So, yeah. Uh, Celine goes home to her like weird old world meets new world chamber and talks to her friend about things before they have to go to a party. And uh, the lichen who battled Celine, Ray's, uh, Kevin Grevieux, you know, one of the co-creators, pulls off his dead buddy's corpse. And uh, despite this being like a weird not future, Celine still has to use an extremely large and clunky laptop that probably runs on dial up using it to do one of my favorite movie superpowers, enhance (laughs) (laughs) and find her target out in the streets of Budapest, which is where I believe the movie takes place. It's Corvin, who is a human and is also Scott Speedman, who I feel like is pretty mid and kind of a fucking weenie. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... He's kind of just there. I feel like besides being like, what the fuck is happening the whole time? Doesn't seem to have any particular feelings about like, oh, werewolves want to turn me into a werewolf to turn me into a hybrid and just seems to kind of be going with it. Maybe because he just wants to be around Kate Beckinsale. I don't really know. He's just Uh, there. Yeah, he. it's weird that she's, like, attracted to him because he's just, like, he just is this person drawn in and he's, like, sort of, he's just so unremarkable. He do, He's, like, just shocked at everything and, you know, I mean, there's just not much there. And I don't know, but, I, I just kind of feel like he's, like, what people think Trent Reznor is like and he's probably more like what Scott Stapp from Creed is like. <laughs> okay, but also to be fair, like, Selena's choosing here between, like, him and fucking craven i know and craven is awful like i was i was <laughs> going to say that like we also meet craven here played by shane broly and i think his superpower is ruining scenes by showing up because he is like you know hands down one of the most annoying fucking people ever do you remember his um terrible. sparkle shirt that he wears to the party Oh God, no! I forgot about well, that. Well, you just have to go back and rewatch it now. <laughs> See the sparkle shirt. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's like a cross between Tommy Wiseau and Corey Feldman now. <laughs> Sorry, Shane Broly, but Craven is extremely annoying in this. It's it's the character, and like you're not supposed to like him. You're supposed exactly. to think he's like a exactly. fucking annoying piece of shit. Then we meet Dr. Pepe Silvia, I mean, Dr. Singe, uh, who takes a blood sample from an injured lichen and brings it over to his big 
like conspiracy theory tack board lab wall <laughs> and finds him negative, which makes Lucian mad. Yeah. They pull the silver bullets out of rays. And then the doctor takes out the chucking stars too. The vampires hold their Illuminati style gathering and drink blood from glasses before Craven is summoned to be informed about Corvin, whose disappearance is now being looked into by the police. Celine tracks him down, but is also attacked by Lycans who, uh, blow out the ceiling somehow. I didn't really get how that worked, but okay. Oh, is this one we're in his apartment? Yeah, and they okay. also do the thing where they love to like run climb down the walls and mm -hmm. the ceilings and the CG for that is just so fucking bad. It's like, like why just go down the hallway? <laughs> For everything Not as fancy. Is, for everything that is quote unquote cool about this movie, the terrible CGI lichens are just such a hideous counterbalance. <laughs> and then Celine does the thing where she shoots all around her in a circle and falls through the floor with the circular floor cut out as her platform. And like the swishy coat moving. Yeah. Lands yeah. completely unfazed by it. Totally. It's incredible. On an episode of Mythbusters, the experiment proved that Celine could not, in fact, shoot a circular hole in the ground to escape the lichen. They I did a watching. That. They did a Mythbusters about that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. No, I had a feeling. I was like, I don't think she'd actually be able to. <laughs> Apparently, like, this also happens in one of the Nemesis movies. Oh. Uh, I'll have to confirm by watching the Nemesis movies. Okay. So uh, Celine stops Lucian from fully killing Corvin, but he does bite him and Celine runs off with him while Lucian elegantly ejects the bullets from his body after sipping on a little syringe thing. Yeah. It actually looked pretty cool. I thought that looked kind of neat. Yeah, it's gross in a good way. <laughs> Lucian has a wrist sword because I guess those were also extremely popular in the early 2000s. I just remember the dude from Hellboy, Cronin, the guy in the gas mask has like wrist the wrist blades. Oh yeah. And yeah. he looked cool. Uh so I, you know, this was that. Uh he uh stabs into the car that Celine and Corvin escape in before getting knocked off. Celine tries to run him down, but obviously he survives. This whole scene was pretty ridiculous, but pretty well done. It was uh, fine. Celine exhibits one of many extreme reactions by shoving her pistol in Corvin's face, telling him to keep quiet before she actually drives off the dock into the water. Corvin escapes from the car with Celine and with remarkable jaw strength, rips a leather jacket into a sling for her. Lucian brings his creepy <laughs> Dr. Singe a blood sample. Corvin, who will turn into a lichen in two days. The doctor does some science and makes a blood concoction. Corvin has a weird flashback in very 2000s glitchy fast style before mm -hmm. he wakes up in the care of Celine. Craven chews out Celine for bringing a human into the vampire's realm, and uh, her blonde friend El Erica, I almost said Elga, her blonde friend Erica, Sophie Miles, gets wigged out when she sees that Corvin has a lichen bite, which wakes him up and he jumps out the window. Oh, yeah. And she like flies up to the ceiling. Right? Yeah, she does like the hissing thing. I guess mm -hmm. this is like the origin of like, like, hey, do you want to go outside? <laughs> like the like hissing <laughs> reaction. Yeah. Oh, uh, or at least a fundamental moment in hissing reactions. Corvin has another flashback and then gets chased by dogs. These attack dogs outside the vampire mansion in real life were actually very docile and playful, but and they were the only dogs available at the time for shooting. For the scene where they chase Corvin, 
Len Wiseman had to film short clips of the dogs running and later put in sounds of vicious barking. If you look close enough, you can see their tails are happily wagging back and forth. <laughs> I love the idea that they're actually just aware that he's a werewolf and they're like, brother, brother, you know? <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Craven slaps Celine, so you know, we know that he's mad at her. She yeah. goes and uh, shoots to blow off some steam and Khan gives her a fancy new pistol to try out in their extremely unsafe shooting range. Uh, this is where we get the liquid silver nitrate bullets that leak out into wounds. And I, and I love that they use ceramic busts as targets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They have the budget for like statues as target practice. They don't like skip out and get paper. And I feel like at some point, have we mentioned like Victor yet? Oh, we're we're gonna get to Victor. Okay. It turns out that Craven is in cahoots with Lucian because wow, nobody saw that coming. Uh, and he's got some dirt on him and tells him he wants Corvin. Yeah. Celine looks through some history books and come across the fall of Lucian, and we learn that Craven had cut Lucian's gross skin tattoo off after he supposedly killed him, which obviously he didn't. And Celine recognizes the sigil on the tattoo as the same on Lucian's necklace when he attacked Corvin. Who's surprised? Yeah, that Craven <laughs> lied and was like, "Oh yeah, I totally killed that guy." It should not surprise you, like, the twists and turns of this take. And it's just like, <gasps> but then she's the mother, and that's the daughter, and actually this, and they're related to this person. Corvin goes to a doctor and begs for help after he was attacked. The doctor gets the cops, who I believe are possibly likened in disguise, I think, or at least working for them. Yeah. And uh, Corvin hightails it out of there through the air vents, of course. Celine writes Victor in big letters on the bathroom mirror and then opens up one of the tomb things in the main chamber to take part in an awakening, which yeah. could prove to be bad as nobody of her stature has ever achieved. So she bites her wrist to drip blood into the ancient vampire's mouth and we get some hilarious CGI of the blood regenerating the vampire's body <laughs> before she speaks with it and determines that Craven is in league with Lucian. Like some, she gets like precognition or like weird powers. And, you know, I, the, like the scene of her, like biting her wrist. I do think it's interesting how like vampires are just sort of like these immortal God beings that are like, I can do whatever to my body. And it's like, yeah. fine, I'll heal up in like a day and like, or like 20 minutes. Totally. Well, and like, cause I think, wasn't that part of like what you needed to do to like awaken like a vampire elder, you had to like give them blood so that you get the fun little heart pumping CGI thing. But then it was like, you needed like a reason or something. And so like the fact that she yeah. was like, I this, think like, that Lucian is still alive. And I think it. that Craven's involved would be like enough for like Victor to be like, Oh yeah, shit. I have to wake up. Cause stuff's getting crazy. Yeah. Well, he's about to wake up because Corvin shows back up at the vampires uh, chateau. Let's be honest. That's what it is. Asking me <laughs> to let back in. <laughs> Raven says that Celine will be banished if she allows uh, him back in. So she drives off with him. And Erica tells Craven that Corvin is a lichen. And at this point, the ancient vampire wakes up and it's Bill Nye. This is Victor. And he actually looks very cool with all of his like gross blood tubes coming out of his back. I like, love it. That yeah. was cool. And I thought he's that all was cool. like shriveled and like kind of green and. 
good practical effects here and you can still tell that it's bill nye and he's like bill nye has such presence like Mm -hmm. as an actor and he does well in these i don't know if he's like one of those english theater type actors or if he is just like an english actor and he's just like good at it because he's english (laughs) or whatever (laughs) i think he's english yeah and i think he did do a lot of theater and i know that like michael sheen did also So he's just kind of good at playing like these very over the top roles. Uh, He uh, does not believe Celine when she tells him that Lucien is alive and in league with Craven. And he tells Craven to summon Marcus, who was meant to be awoken before he was. He's another ancient vampire. Uh, We get a Matrix top down staircase shot as Celine takes Corvin to a hideout. And we also find out that vampires own a medical corporation that creates cloned synthetic blood for them to consume and not kill people. So this is why there's like no people in this movie, which they don't I, need thought was, I thought that was like kind of ingenious. <laughs> <laughs> she tells Corvin that uh, she hates lichens because they killed her family and Victor made her a vampire that the night of her family's death to hunt them down. In response to this, Lycan suit up and arm up as Celine and Corvin decide to uh, hook up before she cuffs him to the table and gives him a pistol to off himself in case he turns before she gets back. Craven pulls Celine aside when she returns to the vampire HQ and gets all Ben Shapiro on her before she just punches him in the face. Uh, Celine speaks to Victor while Craven listens in, and uh, despite Victor's contact lenses being extremely off-center and making a bunch of weird pug noises, like, I'm not even kidding, at one point, Bill Nye just goes like, (laughs) (laughs) just to me sounded like a pug. The coven is in danger and Michael is the- (laughs) It totally, oh my god, that was- he tells Celine that she must be judged for breaking covenant. I knew they just wanted to work in the word covenant. Oh, 100%. 100%. Corvin tries video game logic of shooting the chain to free his arm, but it doesn't work because this is a movie. It has movie logic, not video game logic. The Vampire Council arrives via train. Uh, they love public transit, it seems. Uh, but the Lycans also arrive to disrupt plans and slaughter them. Yeah. Uh, Erica gives Celine her gun and car keys and allows her to escape. Corvin has more weird flashbacks before Celine shows up with Lycans in pursuit. A firefight ensues because Celine's pistols fire one million rounds a second, and Corvin jumps out the window again and lands in Spider-Man pose because he's turning into a Lycan. Mm-hmm. Khan sends some of his men after Celine. Corvin gets picked up by the cops, but it's the full moon and fully transforms into a Lycan, and we get more inside body CGI shots and splattering sound effects as he transforms, but they knock him out with gigantic syringes full of tranquilizer. Craven tells Victor, now in a very fantastic robe, that Celine has fled and is accusing him of conspiracy, which she proves by bringing the creepy Dr. Singe before Victor. At this point, like, Victor's like pretty much back to... Normal Bill Normal, yeah, he doesn't need the IVs anymore. He's not all, like, green and... He's got his robe. He looks amazing. Yeah. The Everyone's vampires. got cool jackets in this yeah, movie. Oh, yes, everybody. Every, this is, <laughs> I'm sure there has been a lot of cosplay as these characters. Oh, yeah. It turns out that the vampires and lichens actually have a common ancestor, and turns out that Corvin is the descendant of the ancient warlord Corvinus, and his unique genetic makeup would allow him to become a vampire-werewolf hybrid and he lacked, and lacked the weaknesses of both species. 
Khan reports that the Lycans have killed the council and Victor orders Celine to kill Corvin. Corvin has been brought to Lucian for experiments and he has a flashback after seeing Lucian's necklace, recalling that he was tortured by Victor and the vampires while his love, the daughter of Victor, Sonia, was also killed because of the forbidden love that they had. He turns into a lichen, swipes the necklace from Victor, and hops away via really bad CGI. <laughs> Lucian claims that lichens were once slaves of vampires, and the war began when they rose up against them and fought for their freedom. We even get a funny yelling name sequence. Sonia! <laughs> Craven drops in on Lucian to discuss their agreements, including a peace treaty, but Celine, Khan, and company show up to put a stop to that. Lucian loads up his Desert Eagle with UV bullets before Craven turns traitor on him and shoots him with a silver nitrate bullet in the back. Celine enters guns ablaze while Lucian is found dead by Rays, who fights a vampire wielding whips for some reason. That yeah. results in him getting eaten, obviously. I remember with like the whips, I was like, oh, this is gonna be like a cool fight scene. And then it like it's just like ends immediately with him getting eaten, and you're like, oh, well, there you go. Yeah, it wasn't very like, cool. Yeah. Looked way cooler than. It was a good trailer they were shot. Used. Yeah, for sure. Also, Lucian isn't dead, duh. Celine is pursued by Lycans, who, you know, again, love running on the walls and almost always die because of it. Uh, although Khan does get it from a Lycan. Yeah. Which is lame. Craven slips into the meat pit while evading Victor, and Celine kills a Lycan before freeing Corvin by shooting off the chain. So she does know how to do that in this. In this. She knows that movie logic. Uh, she knows the right angle to shoot those chains for it to work in a movie, different from a video game. Victor slays a lichen as the two sides exchange fire while Celine and Corvin escape, only for Craven to shoot Corvin with the silver nitrate bullets. He tells Celine that it was actually Victor who killed her family and only let her live because she reminded him of her of his daughter. Lucian stabs Craven through the leg, allowing Celine to bite Corvin. Craven shoots Lucian dead as Victor throws Corvin through a wall. Corvin transforms into a lichen again. I apologize if that was very confusing, but a lot is happening in this. Very and fast. Like, yeah. Corvin, this poor guy, he's got to have so many viruses in him right now. Like, canthropy, vampirism, probably tetanus and bacteria from the water, too. <laughs> and, like, so, falling through walls. Yeah. And all of that, Yeah. Uh, Celine confronts Victor about her past, to which he says that his daughter was also pregnant with Corvinus's child, which was viewed as an abomination by both species. He also says he made Celine immortal only because he loved her. Weird flex, but okay. Corvin shows up looking all Avatar-like and ruins Victor's fabulous robe by throwing him in the sewage water and battling him. Lots of gnashing of the teeth from both parties here. Bill Nye giving it his all as well. Like, he really is just, like, so, so over the top. Kind of, like, kind of has, like, an Emperor Palpatine kind of vibe, you know? Oh, yeah. But, like, a lot more, like, I, I don't know. I, it probably also just, like, hearkening back to, like, a Chris Lee, like, you know, sort of, like, or, like, a Vincent Price, like, I'm going to be a classic over-the-top villain. Totally. And also, like, I don't know, it was, like, a nice change of pace. It was, like, this fight didn't have any guns in it, right? No, Where... I think they were just like using swords and like throwing. Yeah, and like throwing stuff. And then like, you know, Michael Corvin didn't need anything because he's now like super crazy hybrid thing. 
Yeah, he... The thing he looks like when he's, like, in hybrid mode, I thought kind of looked more like a reptile or, like, a dinosaur man. Yeah. Like, but, but like, with human skin, if that makes any sense. I don't know. Like it, it didn't really look like a like a werewolf to me. It it looked it looked kind of different. And I guess yeah. it's a hybrid. It can kind of like take on the features of like a bat or something. I don't know. It's yeah. I find it weird because I know like I've I haven't read Dracula, but like I've seen you know the movie and I've seen like the the Coppola version, and I think it's interesting that like Dracula can like turn into a wolf, like in the old lore. But that seems to have been something that's been kind of abandoned for like vampires in a broader sense. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like because he's like so ancient and old or and he has powers. Of, I don't know if vampires predate werewolves or whatever. Like, I, I really don't know. But I think that's interesting that like that it's like become this like, you know, very like defined, like classic of oh, vampires versus werewolves thing. Totally. Yeah. And it seems like. I wonder if that part like hasn't really stuck because was that too confusing? Cause if you're like a vampire that can shape shift into a wolf, does that not also make you a werewolf? If you can turn into a wolf, like, I guess it's also like different because the wolf turns only during the full moon. Whereas yeah. like Dracula can just become a wolf if he needs to be. Yeah. So I guess it's like a little bit different. I don't know. It's just like, it's just an interesting bit of the folklore. So anyway, Celine ultimately grabs a Victor's sword and slow-mo jumps through the air and slices Victor's head in half at an angle. So Best we get the scene popular, in the whole movie. Yep. We get the popular cross-section shot of his, uh, you know, inside of his skull as one, you know, the one half of it just kind of just like slides off. right off. Because I remember the first time I ever saw it, you don't really know what she's doing at first where you like, she has a sword and you think she's just kind of like turning it in front of her face. Cause it's like zoomed in on her face so much. And then all of a sudden you see like the blood on the blade where it just like appears. And then you see Bill Nye, his face is normal. And then all of a sudden you just see like a red line across his face. And it's just like, drawn out in such a weird way where you're like, what's happened? Oh shit. Like <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's like, it's, like, as if that wouldn't have, like, immediate effects on you. Like, oh, sorry, my, like, all of my muscles and skin had to detach from me. Yeah. Before, like, before it's like, oh, yeah. But it actually, like, makes it look like he had some time to react. To yeah, you. exactly. <laughs> Ridiculous. Which maybe he did. He's a fucking vampire. Maybe, maybe he did have a moment to be like, excuse me, you just slice my head in half. Well, now that he's dead, uh, Corvin makes the other lichens go away so he and Selene can have sexy monster cuddle time in a gross puddle of sewer water before he turns back to normal. Uh, meanwhile, back at the vampire chateau, the blood of Dr. Singe trickles into the tomb of the other vampire lord, Marcus. And Selene also says all of this via narration to hype up the sequel. That's it. That's it. And, you know... Initially, I said I, I I can't say I love this movie, and I didn't. I think I liked it more than I I wanted to admit it initially. It's certainly not like a favorite or anything like that. I don't know if I'm like clamoring to watch it, but for what it is, it does. It is what it claims to be. Yeah, you can't really take that away from it. 
it's very blue and moody and cold, but also sexy and complicated. And it generally achieves all of that. You know, it's just not really for me. It's really fucking corny. It's very hard for me to take it seriously, but it's also not like super cringy. It's just very much of its time. It totally is. And I do like, I totally believe that if that movie had come out when I was like 22, would I feel the same way about it? Probably not. But like, because it came out when I was like 12 or 13 coming of age or whatever, like because of that, it did have like a really big effect on me and I enjoyed it. But I can also see like, yeah, if I were to watch it today, I'd probably be like, that was silly. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it, it's, it's so like, it's just kind of like innocent in what it is, you know, it's just like yeah. a movie that came out of its time. It was a huge phenomenon. And like, for what it is, it's perfectly like, it's fine. The one thing we did notice was like, it is, there was definitely some like, you know, there were a lot of white vampires and like more than a few of the werewolves were people of color. So, you know, there's kind of like that kind of yeah. unfortunate like bit of like, well, yeah. and there's like the class divide yeah, too, class right? Where like, up. you know, the vampires are on this luxury train and in this mansion and then the werewolves are all in like the subway tunnels and the sewers and hanging out underground because they want the vampires to think they're all dead. Yeah, there is like definitely that divide as well, which I feel like is kind of, I mean, that's always how like vampires are sort of like typically depicted right is like in a castle or like a chateau and yeah. like very fancy you don't usually see like underground vampires I i'm guess. sure i'm sure that exists i'm like i guess i'm saying this i'm like trying to think about it in like john carpenter's vampires they like bury yeah. into the earth into the dirt which is cool but they're not like underground vampires i guess i'm thinking about like 30 days of night where like the vampires are like traveling from place to place, you know, basically just like wherever they can like get away with living for a while as they like wipe Burger out the people. local population. Yeah. I saw Chick that movie for my birthday one year. Really? Yeah. Like I out, love like, that movie. I get you know, I don't, I don't remember loving it, but it's such a cool concept. And like, I don't like, I remember the comics were really big when I was young too. And like, I even met Steve Niles one time. Oh, wow. But like I was never super crazy about them. The art was very cool though. Yeah. And like, I don't know, the movie was fine. Like it was all right. Like it had some cool shit, but I, I would have to rewatch it. I do really love that movie. And I feel like it has kind of a similar like blue gray. Yes. It's very filter over the whole thing. Just like this one does. <laughs> on that note like have you watched anything else recently i i unfortunately have to be that guy explaining things to the disinterested party meme but i'm gonna i'm gonna do that to you this episode things that i've watched recently um i saw talk to me oh yeah how was um, that i saw some i mean i know it got a lot of like it, there's been a lot of talk about it like online and stuff like that like i've yeah. seen it just sort of like popped up and I was like, oh, sounds good. I enjoyed it. And I also like, I didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, yeah, I don't know anything about it. And I'm going to just kind of keep it that way, I guess. I think you should. I So I won't say a whole lot about it, but I, I had a good time. 
I went to see it at Alamo on like a Monday afternoon. I like I'm a big go to the movies on a weekday in yes, the afternoon. I, I wish I could do that again. Whenever possible. Especially like, like right now I'm working like seven days a week, but my hours are super weird where I'll be like off for the afternoon, but then like working all night and then like mm-hmm. the opposite the next day. Some days it works out. And there was like a Monday where I was like, oh, I'm going to go see Talk to Me. And it was cool seeing it at Alamo because, you know, when you get there early, they had like a lot of video clips that kind of gave me some context about the filmmakers. And oh, yeah, yeah. They do that at Nighthawk. Yeah. And that was cool because like I I was just like, oh, new A24 movie about talking to dead people. Cool. And it was definitely like made it more interesting, I think. I some people are saying that it was like really I don't I didn't think it was super scary. There were some parts where I was like, oh, that was creepy. But did you um, think it was more just like a good movie than it was like you know scary? Like I feel like I saw people on social media being like, that's the scariest movie I've ever seen, and I was like, I I don't I don't think that <laughs> yeah for me. Um, but um, I had a good time. Yeah, and it's also definitely kind of like like a lot of A twenty four movies do. You know, it's like scary but it also deals with like a lot of mental health and grief and like mm. all of the complicated all right feelings too which I'm down. i don't mind yeah what about you oh i've been watching a lot i watched bride of reanimator which is not as good as the first one but still pretty goddamn good lots of fun special effects and bride of reanimator was great i did watch the new ari aster film Bo is afraid which how was that uh, well, it has some cameos by Puff, Polyphia, and Spirit Box as posters, which I thought was kind of fun. I'm not sure if Joaquin Phoenix said any actual sentences in this movie. You know, it's kind of hard to have an opinion on a movie like that because it's just so fucking weird and goes without stopping. So, like, I guess I'd say, like, overall, I was happy I watched it, but I wasn't, like, super enthusiastic about it. Yeah. It was just one of those movies that goes to extremely out there, bizarre fucking ways to like articulate the point. And sometimes I'm just like, all right, this is this is a little bit much. Like, let's just dial it in. I don't know. I I definitely felt like it's the movie by Ari Aster I like the least so far. Again, I didn't think it was like bad. It's just so fucking like it's just one of those really fucking weird movies. Like, have you ever seen Schenectady, New York? It kind of reminded me of that which is a movie I saw in the theaters years ago and probably didn't appreciate. But yeah, that movie is so fucking weird. I never actually saw it. I, re- <laughs> I remember like in college, my roommates were like watching it in the living room. And I remember for whatever reason, I was like, I'm not in the mood. I don't want to watch this. And just like the things I overheard just being like, what the, what the fuck is this movie? Like, and it's- very, yeah, it's, it's I had really like no context, but it also sounded like even if I had context, I would probably still be confused. Yeah, it's a tough like I don't did you watch the have you watched the Nathan Fielder thing on the show on HBO? Mm-mm. It's kind of like it's kind of like that. Okay. I also watched The Wasp Woman, which I only watched because I got stung by a wasp while I was in New Jersey. And uh, no. it's a very corny. It's basically just a really corny episode of Mad Men with a wasp woman that is more like a bug vampire. And the poster for this movie is wickedly inaccurate. It, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it portrays like a giant wasp body with like a woman's face. And it's the inverse of it. And it looks so fucking lame and corny. 
1959. Yeah, it was like a Roger Corman movie. Oh, I love that poster. Yeah, that's not what's in the movie. Oh, that's too bad. So, oh, is this thing with like the weird antennas and the eyes? Yes, (laughs) which looks pretty goofy. I mean, I like that too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also finished watching all of the Halloween films minus the Rob Zombie. So I watched Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, Halloween H2O, and Halloween Resurrection. And like, man, the Halloween franchise is fucking rough. Good Lord. Uh, Five is just another bad entry in the series that mostly feels like Donald Pleasant being old and harassing a young girl most of the time. I didn't realize that there was this was how they transitioned into the next movie. This movie ends with the guy in a trench coat and a cowboy hat gunning down an entire police police precinct and bailing out Michael just completely out of left field and hilarious, which leads into six. And, you know, I think, you know, that this is this movie's going to be rough when you open your movie with a naked baby in a slow zoom shot and then you find out that Donald Pleasant's got skin grafts to eliminate any of the burn marks he got from the previous movies because he did explode in at least one of them. Yeah. He still looks so fucking old. Like, I was like, this is not cool. Like, this is like elder abuse. And Halloween 6 is laughably bad. Like, yeah. the cult has the power of evil from beyond the stars and the, they only choose to harass a small town. So stupid. Uh, H2O was certainly more competently made than the last, you know, three, basically. And I appreciate them washing the slate clean, but like, you know, I think it's kind of just a whatever movie. I think it's really funny that Jamie Lee Curtis keeps thinking the very not scary Adam Arkin is Michael Myers. And it just really reminded me of Scream, but it's like not Scream, you know? Wait, H2O, that's the one that's like at the boarding school. Yes, right. With, with fucking Josh Hartnett. Yeah, and LL Cool J. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's like fine. Like there, it's fine. It does kind of feel like Scream. I can see that. Yeah. Except it's not doing the thing that Scream wants to do, so it yeah. just feels like Scream. And then Resurrection, like holy fucking shit, the same cannot be said for that movie. That movie is aggressively fucking stupid. Not even Buster <laughs> Rhymes doing Kung Fu to fight Michael Myers can save this. Just I like, love it. <laughs> it's so bad. It is so terribly bad. Like it's funny bad. Yeah. But I love that they just like kill Jamie Lee Curtis in like the first fifteen minutes. And they're oh, just yeah. like, cool, done, new movie. Totally. It's like, I didn't watch that one until a couple years ago. But it's like, I could imagine first seeing it, you know, not knowing that like she's going to be in like future movies and being like upset that that's how they oh, are it's opening. Horrible. It. It's such a bad trajectory for the series. Yeah. It's so terrible. And it just feels like they just had a script for another movie laying around and we're like, put Michael Myers in this. We'll kill Jamie Lee Curtis, done. Tie it all together, but then we'll put it in this house. Buster Rhymes is there. Tyra Banks is in it, too. Oh, my God, yes, Tyra Banks (laughs) is in it. So is Katie Sackhoff. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. Fucking, God, the early 2000s was such a weird fucking time for horror movies. As it's been my goal to watch the, all like, 
all the major slashers before the end of the year. I also managed to uh, squeeze in Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, where there's basically no Jason in this, aside yeah. from, and aside from the guy that melts, what the fuck is this movie? Like, <laughs> I, I think I honestly I turned like, it off. I do not like Friday the 13th movies, generally. I really don't. I think they're pretty all like all pretty bad. I like six. That's kind of my stance on them. I still need I, to watch Jason X, but man, this movie was rough. Like, I like a lot of them, but that one, I think I remember being like, oh, I, I either like turned it off or I just like started doing other shit while it was still playing. Cause I, I just feel like they have no idea what they wanted to do with that series and just were like, fuck it. Anything goes, but I'm like, God, this is so stupid. Like, not even in a good way. Like, there's a little rubber monster thing. And then there's, like, the Freddy Krueger tease at the end that we didn't get for fucking forever. Yeah. And speaking of him, I did watch Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, which I like quite a bit. I think the fact that, like, it's the fourth entry and it's still pretty good says a lot. Um, I don't think it's as good as one or three. Yeah. But... I think it still does a good job carrying the narrative. Uh, I think all the victims are pretty likable and it's got like really good special effects. And I think probably my favorite nightmare kill with the Roach Hotel that, I don't know, that really skeeves me out. It's, I think I have some childhood trauma of watching that as a kid. I think that really fucking like scarred my brain. It's not, disturbing. Not to like totally backtrack to what we were talking about before but what are your thoughts on halloween three i'm a fan you are a fan i'm a fan i'm not a fan sarah's not a fan either so but i'm is, a fan this is the end of the podcast goodbye. <laughs> and the friendship <laughs> uh i am a fan i like halloween three fair enough i wish they did the rest of the series like that but i don't i i, I love michael myers i like I think that's why first I like one rules. I love the first one. Oh yeah. And like, I think that was also just like part of why I was like, so pissed off at the last one because they like spent so much time. Did you see oh, it? The, the most recent ones? Yeah. Oh, they're, I mean, I like the first one. I think the first the, one's actually yeah. really good. And I think that kills and ends are fucking hot garbage. They're terrible. A hundred percent. And like, I think I was like really angry at Halloween ends because they spent so much time developing this whole new villain. I was like, I don't give a shit about him. Like just give me Michael Myers. I don't care about anyone else. Stop focusing on him. If this is the last movie, just like fill it with a bunch of stupid kills that, and then be done with it. I, I, Halloween ends <laughs> is like probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Like Michael yeah. going into the grinder is the only thing that's good about that movie. And like, that's certainly not enough to save it. I don't understand the baffling lore of like, he can like transfer. Like I've always yeah. felt that the whole, like, and that's also consistent through the series. Like the whole, like Michael can transfer his evil. Like that's fucking so stupid. Like he's not supernatural, but they yeah. make treat him like he is like, like it, it, I don't know. Like Halloween just plays by no rules and they're all, it all just suffers for it. Like, yeah, I hated Halloween kill or Halloween ends. Halloween kills was fucking terrible too. That's yeah. also a bafflingly terrible. Movie. 
They just had fucking Jamie Lee Curtis sitting in a hospital bed talking to fucking like screaming her head off. Yeah, and then, and then the guy talks like this. <laughs> God. But like, I mean, that's the thing is that you know what I do appreciate about Michael Myers is like he's a little bit supernatural, right? In the sense that he won't fucking die. He just keeps coming back. That part is supernatural. But then trying to take it anything beyond that of like, oh, psychic and whatever and can transfer his evil. All the ways. Stop. You, Don't do even that. like when they did, like when they picked it up again in four, like all like, oh, is he's coming for his sister? Actually, they're like, I don't yeah. hate that she's like his brother kind of like works out and makes the dynamic like a little bit better, I guess. They just, it's so bad and clumsy and like, yeah. and just awful. Like, it's just such an unfortunate uh, franchise that I think started out really strong. Not that, and I don't even think two is, two is like fine. The second half of two is better than the rest of it. And it's, yeah. it's not a perfect movie, but he does kill a lot of people in a lot of really fucking cool ways in two. And then I like, three so so i'll i guess i'll watch the rob zombie ones eventually but so far i mean nightmare on elm street i have enjoyed pretty much straight from the beginning through although i don't think i've it's been years since i've seen six uh so i'll have to i will you know obviously i'll report back on five and six i don't remember um, six at all but uh we also rewatched child's play today uh which is oh. a for me and a first time for sarah we also had a running theme there. We also watched Dolls, the Stuart Gordon movie, uh, which oh. I was, which I really liked. I thought it was a lot of fun. But man, Child's Play is still really fucking good. Like, yeah, big fan, big fan. I got to see. I've seen only seen one and two, so I have to see the rest of them. And there's like a bunch of them. And yeah. I fucking love Brad Dorif. He's so great. Yeah, Child's Play fucking rocks. Big fan. Outside, obviously, watched other movies besides slashers, even though I'm trying to get through that. Uh, rewatched uh, Tales from the Dark Side. I'm a huge fan of that uh, anthology. Uh, watched Planet of the Vampires, which I had read recently that this film was possibly and uh, most certainly was an influence on Alien. So I checked it out on Pluto TV, which I used for the first time. Uh, it's quite a ridiculous film. Uh, the spaceship miniatures are laughably fake and tiny, but there's some very cool stylistic similarities between it and Alien. It definitely was an influence. There called definitely... Planet of the Vampires. Yes, Planet of the Vampires. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, it's uh, it's a Mario Bava film. There's like a part where they find the the giant skeletons of like you know dead large people or aliens and uh the guy who wrote alien dan o'bannon later said that he fully just like took that idea for the space jockeys and alien which speaking of which we went to go see a 70 millimeter screening of alien the director's cut uh, how was, was that second time viewing for me and you know like there's not much else to be said about alien at this point like alien is a fucking incredible movie i love it i'm a huge fan do you know that the first time I saw Alien, I like fell asleep and got bored and didn't really <laughs> like it until the like chest bursting scene. I mean, it is a movie that certainly takes its time compared to yeah. like, Aliens where there's, you know, a lot of action and shooting. Well, and now like the buildup of it and the even because like so like my partner loves the opening scene right where you like, oh, yeah. see it's like the so shots good. of the ship and yes. it's quiet and it's still and you have this like droney sounds 
And then all of a sudden it's like, and like the things lift up and everyone wakes up. I think like seeing it from their perspective, I was like, okay, that is pretty cool. Whereas the first time I saw Alien, I was like 18 and I was just like, this is boring. When's all action going to start happening? And smarter now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just such an incredible movie. Like seeing it again now, I was noticing just like, wow, there's so much like detail with just like things making noises and like all just like the props and like the shit in the ship. Like it's just, it's such a great movie. Um, Outside of uh, horror movies, I watched The Decline of Western Civilizations Part 1 and 2. Part 1 focuses on punk rock and whew, this has not aged well a lot of racism a lot of bigotry and a lot of swastikas oh yeah okay not a great representation from punk rock in that one um okay. and in part two uh just as bad as the first one but for different reasons just like hair metal guys man that was a rough place the sunset strip back in the 80s like some some fucking bleak shit in that documentary about people who are going to quote-unquote make it also watched death wish and uh, i was surprised at how much of a movie death wish one was um i guess i was just kind of expecting it to be over the top violence but i liked it i think charles bronson's a very convincing uh you know very convincing take on that uh, for not having kind of the Hollywood look and being an older guy at the time, you know, it's dated, but I liked it. I also watched drop zone because a friend of mine sent me a clip of the end of this movie. And conveniently it was on paramount streaming and wow, that movie is fucking stupid, but it's also fucking hilarious. A perfect, (laughs) I'm going to do something else like put cheers together movie. Uh, I watched an Italian version of Journey to the Center of the Earth, which I had seen uh, clips from in an old dinosaur movie compilation documentary thing I had as a kid and always wondered what it was. And surprise, it shows up on Severin. And it's basically the same thing as the U.S. version of Journey to the Center of the Earth, minus James Mason and Pat Boone. But it does have a lot of puppet dinosaurs and King Kong for some reason. (laughs) And And also a weird race of alien clone people from the future weird we watched fast x which obviously was very dumb but i thought it was more enjoyable than fast nine which i thought was pretty bad uh jason momoa was fresh air needed for the series but the the whole like two-part nonsense needs to stop and uh speaking of which also went to see mission impossible dead reckoning part one which i thought was a bit of a step down from the last three and if you don't know what it's about ai is the villain in it and it's pretty goofy it really feels like the Patriots from Metal Gear Solid 2. And there's even like a Revolver Ocelot type character. But, you know, whatever hangups I had with the story, again, they were made up for with the action, which continues to be really fucking good. And I think because these films don't involve the protagonist fighting CGI dinosaurs or throwing magic beams at each other on a green screen, it's a bit more effective. And uh, lastly, <laughs> uh, oh, not lastly. And uh, we also went to go see Oppenheimer. Oh, how was that? Pressing? You know, it looks and sounds amazing. And generally speaking, really good acting from everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what carries the movie. Chris Nolan should just cut all romance out from his movies. He's just not good at doing it. (laughs) And 
for a movie about the guy who built the atomic bomb and kind of like changed the world in the way I was like kind of underwhelmed by it. And like Nolan somehow manages to suck a lot of the politics and societal commentary out of the movie, despite a lot of the movie being like filmed hearings that Oppenheimer is making. He kind of does this in his movies where he tries not to have like any like explicitly like political angle, but I'm like, dude, you're making a movie about the guy who made the atomic bomb. Like that changed the world. That's very like, political yeah i've been a godzilla fan most of my life so i find it interesting that japan the country in which oppenheimer's weapons were used against was able to embrace that trauma and produce a film like godzilla and its sequels that not only examines the horror of the bomb but also created like an international icon yeah whereas i feel like oppenheimer's message was essentially like bomb is bad (laughs) you know like Shin Gojira is another movie that has like a lot of fucking talking in it. And I still felt like that movie had a better anti-nuclear message that came across better considering Japan also had the Fukushima disaster. And that was like just in the news this year as well, because they were releasing water from it or something like that, you know? So I don't know. It's just interesting that like you're, that he made a movie about this guy who created something that changed the trajectory of the world. And like, I kind of just felt like they sort of like for all the talking and yammering that is in the movie, they kind of gloss over like the deeper impacts of that. It's more of like an experience like movie than it is like the sort of like, let's kind of get into the nitty gritty about it. So there's like a lot of things that are good about it technically, but there's like, storytelling beats that I just like don't understand. And again, like the female characters are not very good. I was wondering, I haven't seen it yet. I was going to do the like, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer like double feature. And then once I realized that Oppenheimer alone is three hours long, I was like, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. But yeah, I was kind of wondering like how much they were going to say about that or if they were going to just like kind of gloss over that part because we all already know that about him or what kind of approach it was going to take plenty to like about it i thought it was like good but like i again was kind of like kind of like Bo is afraid like i was just like not super enthusiastic about it certainly better than tenant which i thought fucking sucked like oh i never saw that movie blows I got the 88 films released for Sarah of Mystery Men as an anniversary gift, and we watched it. And oh, I like and I like that movie a lot. Notably hated Mystery Men when I first saw it, but I've I've really come around to it. I think it's a really good uh, satire of superhero. We also, like I said, we finished the third season of The Righteous Gemstones, which I think picked up nicely and made for a pretty solid season. Not enough Stephen Dorff, but the song Redeemer from it that was uh, part of the soundtrack. Very metal. Might be okay. something. <laughs> uh, I also started watching the first run of Berserk, the anime, and so Ooh. far I'm digging it, uh, even though it has the weirdest fucking soundtrack. Yeah. 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 That show is very, that show I, is a lot. I haven't watched that in a long time, but. I cannot imagine coming across that, like, in the late 80s or the 90s on cable and just being like, what the fuck is that- this? Yeah, it's intense. It is. And like, apparently, I haven't read the manga, but my partner has. And apparently the manga is like even more fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. New season of 
what we do in the shadows is very good. Been really enjoying that. And uh, apparently uh, we're getting back into Star Wars. We started watching all of the Clone Wars stuff, like from Cartoon Network, like the old Cartoon Network short oh, cool. animated stuff, which yeah. I thought was awesome then. And I still think is fucking awesome. I love that shit. Uh, and then we watched the Clone Wars movie, which at the time I remember being savage, but I didn't think it was that bad, but it's very clunky. It's not great. And then we started the TV show, which, you know, we're only three episodes in so far, so not much to say about it. And I read a couple of good, well, no, I take that back. Uh, I did finish some books. I finished Nosferatu by Joe Hill, which I did not like. And oh, I, also I read finished, that one. I didn't like it. You you know who Joe Hill is, right? Oh, of course, of course, yeah. Because I didn't know that when I read it. Oh, yeah. Well, and that so might explain like, why the writing sounds yeah. very familiar. Well, and it was funny because <laughs> I think it wasn't even like Nosferatu. I think I was reading the Black Phone. I was like looking. I was like looking him up, and it was like, oh, like Joe really knows real names like joe king from maine and i was like oh that's just like stephen king and then i like kept reading and realized like oh okay it's a pen name gotcha yeah. <laughs> he's a nepo baby totally i also read the alien 3 william gibson first draft adaptation which was fucking awful that was oh, yeah. terrible yeah don't read that and then uh, today I finished reading the book Mirage Men, which is about UFO communities and how the government has used uh, alleged UFO sightings and alien encounters to cover their own tracks for their own projects. Extremely good read if you have any interest. Mirage in Men? Yeah, it's called Mirage Men. There's a documentary too that I'm going to okay. watch. I like that. Also finally got my hands on Vision of the Hawk, the art of Eric Roper, who's probably my favorite artist of all time. And it is jam-packed full of amazing stuff. Came with a small book of his sketches too, which is fantastic. So I've been kind of diving into that. That's really awesome. Uh, have you listened to anything lately that you have been really into? To be honest, I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and that does technically fall under what you've been listening to. Um, just because, like, I've been working so much, and like one of my jobs is. I just like go into this coffee shop near me after they close and I just like go in there and I'd like bake everything for a few hours to like get it ready for the next day and I leave. And it's awesome because I have the place to myself and I can like put on whatever music or whatever I want. But I like have been doing it so much that all I have all the recipes like completely memorized. I'm bored as hell. I could do it like half asleep. And so lately I've just been kind of like, I always want to like put on audiobooks or like if I could like watch movies while mm. I do this job, I would do that just because I am like very checked out and like like I need to hear like a story. But for music, still very obsessed with the I, I do really like the new Godflesh album yeah it rocks i've I'm been playing fan. that a lot i'm really excited to see them in september oh, are you going to desert Here. fest yeah like just yeah. to see them pretty much <laughs> yeah i i am going to probably hard out after godflesh because graf warlock is playing the same night and it's oh is it really well. so i'm yeah, yeah i'm gonna like stick around for the godflesh set and then be out yeah. of there but yeah godflesh i've also been really obsessed with this band that i saw play when i was in montreal back in june 
um, called Jetsam. They're like a power violence band from Montreal. And they like just put out a split with the band Gummo. Uh, Assimilation is Death is the name of it. And I've been playing that a lot. Um, and also the new Moray album has been been playing that a lot. I still listen to black metal, <laughs> even though I just listed like mostly not black metal. Those those have been like some favorites. And then, yeah, just like a lot of a lot of true crime audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> just because I like I don't know, I feel like I need something suspenseful so it can like keep me awake, help me to like tune out from like my job and just yeah still be entertained at work i listened to the band philo medusa for the first time because a previous guest had suggested them and it's literally toad music it's what (laughs) philo medusa i believe is some is a genus or one of the scientific terms for some toad variety and it's literally just like music that just is you know real chonky riffs and the vocals are just like it's like demolic vocals It's something. I'm not sure if I liked it, but it's something. But you listened to it. I yeah. did. Uh, stuff that I did actually uh, genuinely like. Uh, the new Somnuri album, Desiderium. Uh, my boys have a new record out, and I think it's really good. They've incorporated some wider elements of metal here. I think to very good success. I found out about this band called Space Queen, and they have an album out called Nebula. And I think if you're going to be releasing Stoner Doom, I'm always going to appreciate if you rein it in. It could be world record for shortest Stoner Doom album at 26 minutes. Oh, that's uh, very short. Last I checked, that was the average length of a Stoner Doom song. Yeah. I was going to say, how like how long are the songs? <laughs> They're sh- very short. Uh, but, you know, regardless, I think check this out. You know, if you like yeah. and like Blackwater Holy Light or, you know, Desert Rock Sound, I think they're... They did a really good job there. Cool. Just talked about Graf Orlock. They are uh, called It Quits. They have their last album is called Conveniently or, you know, appropriately end credits. Um, so I'm excited to see them. I listened to this band called Serpent Corpse and their album is called Blood Sabbath. I'm very tired of seeing stoner doom bands using the same words over and over again to name themselves or their <laughs> albums, but I am not over death metal making Black Sabbath references. This band is fucking great. I love this album. If you like Autopsy, you'll love this. It's killer Canadian death metal. Really good shit. Uh, I also listened to the album Galgan Dude by Gateway, uh, which is a lot more dissonant than Serpent Corpse, but equally as good. Kind of the death metal or death doom that gives you the chills and i also thought the new uh Chepang album swada was uh really good i'm not gonna pretend like i'm the biggest Chepang fan because i only recently started checking them out but i've seen them before i think yeah. they're immensely talented and this album has like a million and one guests on it including mick barr colin marston dave witty patrick soroshi it's crazy yeah it's like so many tracks also and i haven't listened to it and maybe we'll sample it real quick here. Patrick Wilson did a song with Ghost for their most recent Insidious movie, which I think you said you went to go see. Yeah, do you really want to listen to it, though? Like- <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're queuing it up right now. Yeah, I, I haven't listened yeah. to this because I presumed it was not great. But let's see what this sounds like. I mean... It's Patrick Wilson and Ghost, so it can't yeah. be like... Oh, 
poor Patrick Wilson. Who pressured him into doing this? If this world is wearing Please tell me that is not Patrick Wilson. And you're thinking of escape. I'm not saying anything. I'll go Just experience it. Just wrap me up in What does this have to do with Insidious? But if you try to go Um <laughs> I think it like kind of has to do with like cuz he's like not with his he's like separated from his wife. I can't talk over this. No, Why it's just, Tobias. <laughs> Ooh, this is not great. Does it like pick up at all? I think it does. I don't know. I can't remember. I think I might have left the theater at this point. I mean, we're like a minute and 10 in and this has not really like picked up in tempo at all. Yeah. All right, we're skipping ahead. <laughs> There we go. All right, that's enough of that. Um, yeah, okay, that's pretty fucking not good. Like, yeah, whew, man. But Stop. I think it was like all emotional. Stop because... making music for movies. <laughs> no, don't stop. <laughs> Just choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Some recent shows I went to. I uh, went to go see uh, Belzebong and Greenbeard at St. Vitus, which was great. Saw oh, Red Fang at Gramercy. Also a ton of fun. Saw you at Panopticon and Couch Slot at St. Vitus. Yeah, Nathan, that was so much Caitlin, fun. That was great. Uh, and then I went to the Uniform Thou and Yellow Eyes show at Brooklyn Monarch. Oh, how was that? The next day it was really good uh it was awesome. i was happy to see thou and then uh on um thursday i went to go see kralis and stood in the same exact spot for three fucking hours and watched all of the kralis and kralis adjacent bands perform it was oh, fucking wild just people jumping up and joining and this person's on drums and suddenly like there was another it was oh this is the next band oh this is now it's kralis <laughs> kralis opened for kralis they have like i mean i assume they still had like set changes the first three between the first three bands played consecutively like they just didn't stop so no breaks was, and then there was a break between the 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 third band and then the second kralis set that's kind of tedious it was wild i have i i had never experienced anything like that i don't know kralis fucking rules yeah Oh, that I missed that. What shows have I been to? I saw Verathron at was it the Meadows? They're like old school black metal band from Greece that I like a lot. And their bassist is like so much fun to watch. He just like has some like really fun moves while he plays. And that was a lot of fun. And I went to see I saw you at Panopticon. And then I was, oh yeah, I went to Catharsis and Page 99 at St. Vitus last weekend. Um, what is that band? 
catharsis? No, uh, PH99. I've oh. never heard of that. They're like a scrams band. Oh, okay. With okay. like two vocalists. Yeah. Okay. I'm not really up to date on the scrams, so. Yeah. They sound, they're like, I like their records, but like they sound even better live, which is always nice. Yeah. And catharsis sounded good too. And they were down a guitarist, I think, because they were having like a family emergency. So like it sounded like a little like something was missing. And then they were like, because I also like couldn't see anything because we were like in the back. Also, I feel like, I don't know, not to get like to it. It's really ever since I like fucking fainted at St. Vitus. Whenever I'm at a show there now, I like never want to be at the front because I'm always just like, what if I need to like leave and like go outside oh, yeah. and get some air? So I'm always usually like in the back, kind of close to the door. That's yeah. why I stopped trying to get fucked up at shows. Cause like sometimes I bring my camera and I photograph them and like, you can't afford to be like fucked. I mean, you know, you're taking pictures too. So yeah. you want to take good pictures, but like, yeah, it gets fucking warm in there, you know? It does. And like, it's funny cause it's like, I've been in St. Vitus, you know, when like high cost is like loaded in before, like a lot of people are there and it's like fucking cold. Like they have the ACs cranked where I'm like, Oh, I wish I brought like a sweater. But then just when that many people are in there, you know, and there's bands playing, it just like it gets so hot. And, I mean, I will just like yeah. never forget like being there for Spirit Adrift and Crowbar and just like my friend Dave was like, dude, look up. You can see the condensation like forming on the ceiling. Ugh. It was so <laughs> fucking gross. Like that like that yeah. Crowbar show was fucking disgusting. Like that was like the wettest show I've ever been to. Oh, so. my God. But yeah, got some got some good stuff still coming up. Uh, still a lot of good shows. Yeah. Do you want to tell people where they? Oh, do you have anything you want to shout out? Oh. Make people aware of. I would like to shout out. Would like to encourage people to donate to um, relief efforts in Maui. Um, oh yeah. For the fires. So terrible. Yeah, it's awful and i don't know i've never visited hawaii but it's a place i feel like that has been like exploited and taken advantage of for a very long time and so it's time for people to show up for the people who are from there and who call that place home other things i want to shout out um my job i work so i work at a nonprofit where I teach baking classes to adults with special needs, primarily on the autism spectrum. And we currently have a pop-up shop that is open Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's like right across the street from the Barclays Center at 192 Flatbush Avenue. If you are around on those days in the coming weeks, please go check it out. And... Yeah, we're, you know, an organization that is training folks as bakers so we can get them paid gigs. I think that's mostly it. Those are my shout outs. Irene is a sick baker. Uh, <laughs> you should follow Irene on Instagram, see all the cool shit that Irene makes. Irene has made more than a few uh, sweet treats for us over the years. We are forever grateful for them. Is it Irene the Black Metal Pastry Chef or just the Black or just Black Metal Pastry Chef? Um, on Instagram, it's just Black Metal Pastry Chef. 
Or yeah. scone crone. That's always been my favorite. <laughs> I think that one's great. Scones are underappreciated. Scones are great. It needs to stop. And yeah, thank you for all of your support. And I always love baking for you and Sarah. It means oh. a lot. Yeah. Well, it's always enjoyed too. I definitely echo those sentiments about supporting Maui. Actually, somebody I went to high school with lives out there and mm. house burned down. So contributed to their GoFundMe. Oh, uh, yeah, shit sucks. But if you want to check out more Diary Doom stuff, you can follow the podcast on Instagram. You'll find all the movies from Green Hell updates there. Um, been uploading some pictures from the shows I've been going to. You can also follow along on Facebook. Uh, I'm not on Twitter dying Twitter or X or any of that <laughs> stuff. Uh, if you want to suggest a movie for the podcast, you can send an email to diaryofdoom1968 at gmail.com. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. So, you know, thanks for coming on again, Irene. Obviously, it's always uh, a pleasure to have you. It's always great to see you. Um, you know, we'll see you soon at Sirith Ungle. And uh, we'll be back next time with another ridiculous heavy metal soundtrack movie or something involving cannabis. Although we'll be coming up on a uh, on the uh, the month of October, so I've got something uh, I've got something in mind for the month of October. I think there'll be a double dose of episodes for that. Uh, definitely Ooh. an episode beginning of the month, and then an episode that will come out on Halloween. Uh, it'll be most appropriate. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. 